taken hours. But the cool thing about that is, the teaching that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount is probably some of the greatest things ever spoken. The concepts that he laid out, I mean, uh, universally, it doesn't matter what creed you are, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, everybody says, wow. See, Jesus laid out for us in the Sermon on the Mount exactly what God's concept is of righteousness. And that's going to accomplish two things in our lives. When we study the Sermon on the Mount and we see God's concept of righteousness, here's what that does. The first thing is, it ought to direct us to a Savior. See, the Lord declared to us in chapter 5, anger is murder. Lust is adultery. And just in case those didn't get you, he says, be perfect as I am perfect. That shit got across the board there. He said to them in chapter 5, which blew their minds, he said, unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees were the holiest guys on the planet. They always knew what to wear. They always had the right clothes. They always said the right thing at prayer meeting. I mean, they, they did all those righteous, outwardly religious things. But you see, early on in the, in the history of the nation of Israel, the last judge in the time of Judges, he, he comes to a time where the people reject him. They don't want God to be their king. They ask for their own king. And so Saul is the first king that's, that's picked, and Saul goes about doing his thing. But real quickly, they discovered that Saul's heart is not after God. And so as Saul's kingdom is, is beginning to fail and, and flutter around, the Lord says to Samuel, I want you to go anoint my king, my choice. So he goes to Jesse's house, and he says to Jesse, Jesse, I'm coming, which is a big deal. When the prophet comes to your house, it was a big deal. So Jesse gets his whole family together, except for this one kid who was just wild. The only fit place for that one kid was to be with the sheep. He was so wild one day when a little stray mountain lion came wandering through looking for some quick eats out of the flock. He grabbed his sling and whooped this lion, nailed him with a couple of rocks, and the lion went to go eat somewhere else. A little while later, as he's out there, this wild and crazy kid, this guy who was always on the edge, that dad didn't want around the house, a bear came. And he went, now when's the last time you went after a bear with a, with a shoestring and a rock? I, hey, I don't mind going after a bear with a rifle. I might even talk me into going after a bear with a bow, but not a shoestring and a rock. David said, I, I, I drove off that bear with my bare hands. Why? He said, because he understood something. He's wild. He was, he was not welcome in his own home. Dad made him stay out with the sheep. But he knew the Lord. And he knew God watched over him and he knew God took care of him. So Samuel the prophet comes and they line up all the sons and he looks at them all and he sees the first one, the oldest son. And man, he is head and shoulders above the others. He's, 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 he's polite. He's everything you would want outwardly in a king. And Samuel looks at him and says, surely this is the one, Lord. This is the one. And God said, nope, that's not him. 
And then Samuel went to the next one. Is this the one, Lord? And the Lord said, nope, all the way down the line. And Samuel's a little confused. Because he thinks he's just looked at all the sons of Jesse. And so he looks over to Jesse and he says, have you no other sons? Now, don't lose sight of the fact that this was the biggest day in the family's history. The prophet was coming to their house. But he didn't have David come home. Because I can make my other sons look good. But David, he's, he's going to wear flip-flops to the table. He's not going to wear the right clothes. He's not going to say the right things. I don't know. We'll just leave him in the field so he don't embarrass us. So the Lord says to Samuel, have him bring his other son. So he goes and he gets David. And when David comes, the Bible says he was a ruddy man. It means he was wild, unkept, hair not combed. Says he was handsome, but you had to dig down under the dirt and the craziness to, to find all that. And I'm sure in Samuel's heart, he's going, no, Lord, don't let this be the guy. The Lord said to him something that's important for us to understand. He says, man judges from the outside how someone looks, but God judges from the heart. Man looked at the Pharisees and said, they're the holiest guys on the planet. But God himself said of the Pharisees, you're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. On the outside, you look good, but on the inside, you're full of corruption. So in chapter 5, he's, he's saying, he's laying out this list of things that say, this is what God requires. Listen, let's not beat any, any, around any bushes. God requires a righteousness it is impossible for you to produce. God requires a righteousness it is impossible for you to produce. Period. And when we understand that, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we say, Lord, I'm condemned around every corner. Everything I read says I'm not good enough. Everything I read says I'm not doing it right. Everything I read says I fall short. Then it's done its job. Because the next thing it does is direct me to Christ. To Jesus Christ. Who kept the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus did. Who fulfilled the law? Jesus did. Who became that perfect, just, righteous requirement? In fact, the Bible tells in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that he who knew no sin, that's Jesus Christ, and by the way, I don't want you to lose sight of that, the concept of no sin equals deity. Only one person is without sin. Only one person can forgive sin. God himself. In the Gospel of John, over and over and over and over again, Jesus declared himself to be Almighty God in the flesh. It takes us 2,000 years later to mess that up. The Jews understood it at the time. Go ask a Jew today. What does this mean? Oh, that's not good. That means he's calling himself God. Over and over and over. And then what did he become? He becomes that perfect sacrifice for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that you and I might become the righteousness of God. By faith, we put our trust in Him and through Him, we fulfill the Sermon on the Mount. Through Him, we meet the requirements. The Lord would go on as, he's, as He discusses these things. He, he, he talks to us about 
living a certain way. This is how we should live. He talked about three specific things in chapter 6. He talked about giving, how we should give. He talked about how we should pray. He talked about how we should fast. But it's interesting. What he said about those three things is, whatever you do in those three areas, do it in secret. Do it in secret. Nobody else needs to know about it. Your father will see your heart, like the heart of David, and he'll reward you openly. Well, don't do it to be seen by man. That's the trap of the Pharisees. That's the trap of self-righteousness. Don't let men see. Don't do it so other people will think you're great. Do it because you love the Lord in response to what He's done for you. That's how we're supposed to live. That's what he tells in chapter seven or chapter six. Chapter seven, chapter the, the first verse of chapter seven, there cannot be a person in this room who hasn't heard it before. Right? Chapter seven, verse one. Judge not, lest you also be judged. Man, I've heard that thrown back at me a hundred times. The Bible says, judge not. Don't judge me, brother. Don't judge what I'm doing. Don't judge how I'm living. Don't judge the things uh, that are going on in my life, the things that I'm doing. Listen, that's not what the Bible's saying. What Jesus is laying out for us in chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, is to learn how to judge righteously. You understand that? How to judge rightly. Proper judgment. The scripture calls us to judge, folks. Jesus, in fact, in a few chapters is going to call for judgment. But the judgment he calls for is righteous judgment. It's in, in light of cast a shadow by the judgment of the Pharisees. How the Pharisees judge? They looked at you how? On the outside. You're not wearing the right clothes. You don't have the right shoes. You didn't wear a belt with your shirt. Your shirt's not tucked in. All these things are pharisaical. There was no different in their time, only they had robes. And they had ropes that they wore. And they had tassels. They had to hang off the robes a certain way. It was all the same. There's nothing new under the sun. The Pharisees would judge from the outside. So the Lord declares to us, Chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus' words, Judge not that you not be judged. Judge not. That word, judge, is the word crino. There are three things we're going to see in this chapter. One, we're not to judge to condemnation. But we are to judge to identification. And we are to judge to restoration. Not to condemnation. When the, when the Pharisees would look at people, they'd look at the outside, just like when David came and he didn't look so great. And they say, oh, you know, this guy can't be full of the Holy Spirit. This guy can't be God's chosen. This can't be the one. Look how he looks. He says, don't judge like that. Don't judge to condemnation. But rather, when we judge, judge with that righteous judgment. And so that we understand that he wants us to judge rightly... He gives us an illustration exactly right following the verse. Look at it. He says, For with what judgment you judge, it will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is a concept that Jesus brings up often in the Sermon on the Mount. Understand, the Sermon on the Mount was taught many different times. Matthew gives us the most succinct uh, sermon on the mount that Jesus gave. Luke talks about some other parts. Uh, Mark talks about some other things. They all talk, bringing it together, the overall teaching. Jesus would go about teaching this message. 
He'd stop and he'd give it again. And he'd stop and he'd give it. A little bit different than the last time. Different emphasis. But the, the same general message. The message of the kingdom. And in that he says, listen. The same measure that you judge with, you'll be judged. So here's the key. He says, listen. Think about how you judge and how you want to be judged. Do you want to be judged to condemnation? Do you want people to condemn the things you're doing for the same measure that you use? As we judge others, others will judge us the same way. Don't you see it in the world today? Think about some of the groups that the church has judged. I'm not saying they're wrong. Just think about the way churches judge different things, the condemnation that they brought. And now think about how that group looks at the church. Same measure that was measured out comes back. The Bible says God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. What you plant is what grows. Right? I told you I got a jalapeno bush. That's my favorite bush at a whole house. I get excited when I go out and there's a little green chili growing because I love jalapenos. I got this little house, but if I went out and planted a pumpkin and prayed over the pumpkin, laid my hands on the pumpkin and said, please, Lord, make this a jalapeno. It's going to be a pumpkin. What you sow, you reap. And the same is true in judgment. So the judgment that God is going to call us to is an introspective judgment rather than judging the people around us. He says, look at yourself. Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to yourself. Here's the illustration that he brings us. He says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? The word for speck is the word caxphus. And the idea behind it is the idea of a splinter from the same board. So in one eye you have a two by four, and the other eye you have a splinter, much smaller part of that same two by four. So it says, now listen, you're looking at the speck, this little problem in your brother's eye. Why? Because our sin always looks easier to condemn when somebody else wears it. The Lord says, why do you look that? Why are you looking at this speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider that coming out of your eye is the rest of the two by four? Isn't that how the Pharisees were? Isn't that how their judgment was? Hey, outside they look holy. They prayed in front of people. They did all these things that made them look good on the outside. But God said, listen, don't judge like them. Don't, don't sit there with a two-by-four sticking out of your head and try to pick a, a splinter out of somebody else's eye. You come at me with a two-by-four sticking out of your eyeball and try to pick something out of my eye, I'm running the other way. You can't see nothing. Not only that, I have to duck every time you look at me. Because that two-by-four is swinging around in front of you. Listen... The Lord is, is making it, and it's the same substance. When people struggle with judgment and they're condemning other people, oftentimes it's because that same sin is inside of them. And they don't want to look at me 
I want, it's easier for me to look at them. So I'll condemn them. But I'm not going to look at myself. I need to look at myself. I need to be willing to see what's going on in me. Or can you say to your brother, hey, let me remove the speck from your eye. And look, there's a plank in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove your plank. That's how God wants us to judge. First, remove your plank. Don't run around being a plank eye. Get that plank out. Listen, before we can point at a brother or a sister, before we point at someone caught up in sin, and keep in mind, this section of Scripture is dealing with believers, those who are the kingdom. Hey, when I look at them, before I can bring any, I better step back like David did. Remember we were talking about David earlier? David in Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And later in the psalm, he says, and I will teach the lost your ways. But I can't teach the lost your ways. I can't pick the speck out of their eye. I can't help correct. I can't bring a teaching of righteousness if there's a plank growing out of mine. So first, deal with your plank. First, take care of that plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck. From your brother's eye. Now let me tell you. Anybody ever had a splinter in their eye before? Man, I mean, it's a drag. I was, I was doing, uh, I was not following OSHA guidelines. Nobody in here ever does that. But I was not following OSHA guidelines. I had a grinder out and I was doing some grinding on some metal. And the, you know, for some reason your safety glasses or safety goggles are always all scratched up. And you put them on, you can't see nothing. So I left them off so I could see and I'm grinding on metal. And sure enough, something gets in my eye. Now, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. It just feels like I got a little bit in my eye, you know, blink a few times, rub my eye. I think it's okay. And a couple hours later... Man, I can't, every time I close my eye, I feel like something's tearing it. And then a couple hours later, I can't even open my eye. Just all tearing and crying. And so Kathy, my wife, who's the only reason that I ever make it to the doctor, says, I'm going to call the doctor. So she calls the doctor says, hey, my husband's got something in his eye. And, and he goes, well, he, was he doing any grinding or anything today? Yeah, yeah, he was. Okay, bring him to the emergency room right now. Why? Well, if he's got a piece of metal in his eye, it'll keep going through his eye until it does real damage. So bring him. Now, hurry. So she snatched me up and and gave me the lecture about why I wouldn't wear my safety goggles. And she drove me out to the doctor. Now, when I got to the doctor, I was very happy to see that he had a big old giant pair of specs on I figured them big old, he better be, he can, he can see. Because his eyes look that big when I looked up at him. So I know he can see down into me what he's doing. And, and he knew exactly how to do it. He came down and he, he put a little, some drops on my eye and then it stopped hurting immediately. And then he dropped another little dye on it and everything kind of turned hazy blue. It was kind of cool. And then he come at me with a needle. You ever, they put you in a machine, by the way, that holds your eyeball open. So in your entire body is screaming, close, close, close. 
But it can't close. Because they got this thing holding your eyeball open. And so you see the needle coming. Ah! I don't want to see that. And he poked that thing right into my eye. Bloop. Just like going into a grate. Bloop. And he got that piece of metal and he took it out. And it was all so gentle that I, re- I was actually really calm. You know, one of the keys that God says about judging is when you learn to pull the plank out of your own eye, you learn to be gentle with your brother. You learn to be kind when you go to speak or to share or to to confront a brother in sin because you know what it's like. You had to pull that plank out of your eye too. It's a key for the judgment that Jesus lays out for us, a kind of judgment that we should work with. And then he goes on. Now, we're talking about judging not. That's not judging the condemnation. But then, in the very next verse, listen, he tells us that we have to judge to identification. Listen, in the very next verse, he tells us, Do not give what is holy to the dogs. Now, how do you know what's a dog? You better be able to identify a dog, right? Don't give what's holy to the dog. The picture is when the priest would take the sacrifice and he's having this big barbecue. So picture, big barbecue, you got your T-bone steaks out on the barbecue. It's cooking, you're cooking it up. Nobody reaches over, grabs that T-bone and flicks it over to the dog. That's the picture. Don't give what's holy to to the dogs. And then he goes on, don't cast your pearls before the swine. He, he lays out for us then, don't cast your pearls before the swine lest they trample them under their feet and then they turn to tear you to pieces. Don't bring that which is holy, that which God has entrusted unto you, that which God has revealed unto you and waste your time trying to feed dogs or hogs. They don't want it. And they're going to turn on you. So there is... A judgment to identification, identifying a dog or a hog. Identifying that which is is utterly hateful toward the message or the holiness or the judgment that you would bring. Don't waste your time. The proverb says it like this. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest he seem wise in his own eyes. There comes a time when we're trying to share with someone. And you know and I know that we are wasting our time. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not getting any place. The animosity, it's like throwing that which is holy to the dogs. So the Lord says, just don't do it. Use your time, point your time in a direction that's going to bring fruitfulness instead of frustration. Don't give that which is holy or that which is of value to the dogs and the hogs. They'll turn on you. And then he immediately turns from that and he says, but do this. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. In the Greek, it's, the construction is such that it means keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. So if I want to be able to identify, I want to be able to understand if I'm in a situation where I'm trying to give holy things to dogs who don't want it, or I'm trying to give beautiful things to to pigs that are going to trample it and turn on me and try to eat me, then I need to be doing this very thing. Keep on asking the Lord. Keep on seeking Him. Keep on knocking on the door. The Lord says over, not just one time, not just now and again, all the time, over and over again, seek the Lord, seek, 
Uh, Ask, seek, and knock. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. The, The answer to that verse, everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks will find. It's all future tense. It doesn't mean that you're going to ask and right now you're going to get what you want. You're going to have the answer. You're going to receive what you need. It says, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. Lord's going to show you the way. Keep seeking, keep seeking, keep seeking. God's going to guide you. Keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. And the Lord's going to show you that right door for you to walk through. He will give us that guidance. He wants us to come before him. And here's why. He says, for what man is there among you who, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? There's a couple. There's a couple. Occasionally, I've thought about giving my son a stone instead of bread. Well, not really a stone. More like a knuckle sandwich occasionally. But <laughs> Listen, which of you, what man, will give his son a stone for bread? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Lord, I want to know, I want to be able to identify the people around me. I want to make sure I'm going in the right direction, doing the right thing. So what's he say? Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and the Lord will give you the good things that you need. What if he doesn't give you? What's that mean? If he don't give it to you, it means it's not a good thing. He said, I'll give you all good things. We don't always have the ability to understand everything that's good, right? We think it's good. Just the other day, I, I saw a Harley. I think it was good. Had big old ape hangers like I used to have. And I thought that was good too. And then it was on sale. That was the best news of all. So I went to my Holy Spirit. Her name's Kathy. (laughs) And she confirmed for me that uh, I was hearing the Lord wrong. The the reality is we don't always know what's good or what door should be open. But the, the important thing is keep asking. God will show you. The Gospel of Luke, when when the Lord gives this sermon another time, he tells us what that good thing is that the Lord gives. He says the good thing that God gives is the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And the Holy Spirit will teach you and reveal things to you and show you the way. Help you to understand. So we see as we go through the scripture. So then he says, therefore... So we back up in light of the fact that God gives good things, that he wants you to keep asking, that he doesn't want you to judge people to condemnation, but he wants you to be able to identify things that are a waste of time, things that aren't a waste of time. He wants you to be able to see all those things. Therefore, he lays out whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. And this is all the law and the prophets. That's called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Judge others as you would have them judge you. Use the same measure that you want to come back. Use the same judgment that you want God to use on you. Now, most of us, when we talk about standing before Almighty God, we don't want God to judge us based on what's just. If you do, you have to go back to chapter 5 and 6 and read it. Remember, anger is murder. Lust is adultery. Be perfect. 
I don't want God to judge me according to justice. I want him to judge me according to mercy. So then how ought I to judge? I ought to be merciful. I ought to be merciful. I want to come before the Lord and I want to ask him to, to show me, to help me, to help me to understand. There are times, folks, when we have to point at something and we say, that's sin. Period. The Bible says that's sin. I'm sorry you don't like it. It doesn't really matter to me if you like it or not. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says that's sin. Period. So we are to repent, turn away from it, not make excuses for it. But when we come to pull that speck out of a brother's eye, we come in an attitude of gentleness and meekness, right? Because we know what it's like to have that speck pulled out of our eye. That is what righteous judgment is all about. Then he's going to tell us, listen, as I continue to build on this concept, I'm going to tell you there's two paths you can go by. Do we think Led Zeppelin said that first? They didn't. Jesus said that first. Two paths you can go by. He goes on to tell us, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But what do we know about the broad gate? Here's what we know about the broad gate. The big road, that big wide freeway. It's easy. Whenever we say things like, we just want to take the path of least resistance. Oftentimes, that is the broad gate. That is the way that leads to destruction. That's the way that's going in a direction that we don't want to go. That's the path that leads to despair and despondency. We don't want to go down that way. He says, strive to enter the narrow gate. The idea of the narrow gate is that it's a more difficult path. He ever sat and started to think about what it truly means to live a life following Christ? If you think living a life following Christ is easy, you don't understand living a life following Christ. Man, there's a lot of things that I, every single day that God speaks and says, man, Jackie, you really messed up here. You're, you don't quite have a, a grasp of that. And the more I learn and the more I study and the more I understand, the more I realize that, that I fail. But that doesn't mean I stop and say, well, I'm not going to live a life after Christ then. Any dead fish can take the broad gate. Any of them can float downstream. It takes a live fish to swim like the Dickens uphill. To do that road that's not so easily traveled. To fulfill the things that God says when he says, this is how I want you to walk. This is how I want you to behave. This is how I want you to be. So he says, strive to enter that narrow gate. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. So when we're talking about judging, we're not judging the condemnation, we're judging the identification, then you need to take a look inside yourself and ask yourself, which one am I on? What road am I on? Am I on the road that leads to destruction? Am I taking the easy way? Am I not making a stand for my faith? Am I not being who God said for me to be? Am I not loving like He said to love? Am I not behaving like He said to behave? Am I making justification for my sin? You see, He said, before you can pull that speck out of your brother's eye, you have to do what? Pull the plank out of your own. Which road are you on? Which path have you taken? 
It's never too late to realize I'm on the wrong path and I need to get right. That's called repentance. A change of direction, right? That's a change of direction. Hey, I'm on the wrong road. I look down and say, wow, how did I get here? How did I get to this big old wide road? Everybody's doing the same thing I'm doing. That's a dead giveaway. Everybody's doing it. My, my kid tells me that one more time, I'm going to scream. Is he here? No? He didn't come to church today? Oh, man. See, now I'm going to get him for that. Oh, okay. I knew somebody would point him out if he was really here. <laughs> oh, you're, 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 you're behind Pablo's head. I couldn't see it. <laughs> you know, how many times have we heard that from our kids? Well, uh, everybody's doing it. Oh, and if everybody was jumping off a cliff, and we all say that, right? If everybody was jumping off a cliff, would you do that too? Frequently. Frequently. Hey, we want to have that right attitude, that right type of judgment, an attitude that says, hey, I want to find the narrow path. What's a narrow path? Folks, just read the Sermon on the Mount and the things that Jesus says. That's how we ought to live. I know we fall short, but it doesn't mean we don't aim for it. It doesn't mean we don't try to walk it. It doesn't mean, that we, and when we, when we stumble and fall, the Bible says, confess your sin. Confess your sin to a brother. Confess your sin to one another. Confess your sin to God. And He'll forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So there are times when we need to do that. We need to be able to do that. We need to be able to judge to identification. Then very next verse, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I hate it when I see a ravenous wolf. I I even hate it when I see a ravenous dog. Whenever I see a ravenous dog, I can always tell when a dog's going to bite me. Because it's not just barking. It's that (laughs) that they come at you with. If you ever have to go over to Susie Jones' house, don't wear flip-flops for crying out loud. She has got a rabid dog named George. George is losing his teeth because he leaves them in people. He bites so many people, his teeth are falling out. Ravenous wolf. When we see a ravenous wolf, we want to stay away. The Bible says here, we want to judge to identification. It's what this whole chapter is about. It all fits together. We want to judge to identification. Watch out for false prophets. Because they're like ravenous wolves. And here, just in case you want to know, how am I going to be able to tell a ravenous wolf... The Bible tells, Acts chapter 20, a ravenous wolf will always draw disciples after himself. Always. He'll draw disciples after himself. He'll tell them to sell all their stuff. Buy a ticket to Guyana. Then he'll say, drink some Kool-Aid. They bring disciples after, not Jesus. I don't want you to follow Jesus. Follow me. That's a ravenous wolf. The other thing, 2 Peter tells us that the ravenous wolves are always looking to fleece the flock. Take money from the flock. They always want to get something from you. That's a ravenous wolf. That's a false prophet. That's a false teacher. That's that's a sign. In fact, the didache, the, the, the writing of the disciples that said, here's how you find false teachers. Not in the Bible. It's an extra biblical writing they wrote. It's not scripture. It's just how they wrote to find people. They said, if a guy stands up and tells you that he needs this, 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 this from you, he said, just forget about that guy. 
Forget about them. Don't follow them. These are what ravenous wolves look like. I found this, uh, this quote by a fellow named Trapp. He says, There are those that speak like angels and live like devils. They have Jacob's smooth tongue, but Esau's rough hands. Or like the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Hey there. They're there to deceive. We want to be able to judge that. We want to be able to understand it. So the Lord says, listen, consider what road you're on. Take a look at your own life. Watch out for false teachers. And here's how you're going to find false teachers. He tells a story about two trees. Two trees. He gives us an illustration so that we might be able to do that. Verse 16, you will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Now, so you'll understand what he's talking about. He's saying a good tree, a healthy tree is going to give or provide healthy fruit. A bad tree or an evil tree is literally rotten tree and rotten fruit. Stuff that will make you sick. Stuff, stuff that is no good for nothing. Okay, no good for nothing. This is, this is just bad tree, bad fruit. Poison, that's the concept that he's laying out. And a poisonous tree, or a poisonous fruit, or a poisonous berry, doesn't matter how much you wish it was a good berry, will make you sick. Bad fruit, rotten fruit, comes from bad or poisonous trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, now here, let's take an example from, from nature. When we come across these trees, if we, if we have property, and on our property there is a plant that's going to be harmful to our livestock, we're stupid if we leave that plant there. We rip that stuff out. I don't want livestock eating that stuff. I don't want them getting sick. I don't want them being poisoned. So that stuff comes out. If we got poisonous stuff, poisonous plants around our home, we have small kids, we don't have them playing in the little poisonous oleanders. They have oleanders in Idaho. And they got oleanders everywhere in California. Dumb. Which is another reason why they should flee as fast as possible. <clears throat> but the idea is we want to keep that stuff. If it's bad, it's just going to get cut down, cast aside, okay? But if it's good, if it's good, then it's going to be utilized. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. That's the kind of judgment God's talking about a judgment to identification. Good fruit or bad? Healthy or poison? Is it killing you? Or is it bringing life? If it's bringing life, hey. Is the is person bringing that? Is the is person doing that? Bringing disciples after themselves? Follow me. Hey, don't worry about Jesus. You just follow me. It'll all be good. Paul said, follow me. But he, he said what? Follow me how? As I follow Christ. Following Christ. We want to have that attitude. We want to be able to identify those things. It's not flawlessness, it's fruitfulness. Not being perfect is being fruitful. That's what he's talking about. Judgment to fruitfulness. And then in verse 21, guys, just in case we're, we're, we're missing the concept and we don't really understand what he's talking about, there's no getting around what he lays out for us in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Hey, this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. 
It's not about what you said. It's about what you did. The test for truthfulness is always in the action. Hey, I get to coach football. I'm, I'm excited about getting to coach football again. I'm out at Castleford helping out, doing some stuff out there. And I always learn in football. I have guys come to me always during the offseason and they say, Coach, I know I'm not at weights, but I'm really working hard. That is words. Day one of practice, I will see whether or not they are giving lip service or if they're really working hard. So when they're on the ground gasping like a fish for air, pop, pop, pop. And all the guys who were there all summer working out are just running around doing fine. I know. You can tell me, he can say till he's blue in the face, no, oh, coach, really, I was working hard. Yeah, no, I can see. I'm not blind. I can see the fruit that's not there. That fruitfulness that we don't see. Well, the same thing here. The Lord says, just because you speak the words doesn't make it so. Anyone can at any time say the sinner's prayer, say the words asking Jesus into their heart, but never, ever intend to follow him. Never. And the Lord says, not all who call me Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. They won't. Not those who just speak the words, but those who do. I'm not talking about perfection. He's talking about those who follow God's will, to whom it matters what God has said, to whom it matters what God wants. Not that I perform perfectly, but real quickly you can tell the difference between the wolf and the sheep, can't you? Especially if they're not both wearing sheep's clothes. It's not hard to identify. We can identify them in that way. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone. Many will say to me in that day. By the way, that phrase. Many will say to me declares Jesus Christ as the judge. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? It doesn't matter. Prophesying doesn't make you saved. What do you mean? You ever heard of a prophet named Balaam? He's lost. How about Caiaphas, the high priest who crucified Christ? He prophesied. He's lost. Saul prophesied, and we're still not sure about him. Prophesying doesn't set you aside. Well, we cast out demons in your name. We've done many wonders and miracles in your name. All this means is you don't have to have a, a relationship with God. does not require there to be all this flash, all this stuff. Well, I really know I have a relationship with God because I prophesied. Or I really know I have a relationship with God because I cast out a demon. Or because I did a miracle. No, none of those things are the hinge upon which our salvation hangs. They're not. It's just stuff. Many will say these things. And I will declare to them... Not, I used to know you, but I don't anymore. What's he say? I never knew you. I never knew you. We never had a relationship. Listen, it's not hard to understand how to have a relationship. We have relationships every day with people. A relationship with God is exactly the same. I never knew you. We didn't have a relationship. Judge yourself. Look at the plank in your eye. Which road are you on? 
Which tree are you? Don't worry about your neighbor, the one behind you. Don't waste your time judging other people. Judge yourself. Don't deceive yourself in the saying, I have a relationship or, or, or I know God and I've cast out demons and I've done all these things. And the Lord says, I never knew you. I never knew you because you never had a relationship with me. Well, how do I have a relationship with the Lord? I just ask. I just say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, but it can't just be words. I don't have to do something to make it real. I just have to, it's got to be more than that. Not lip service. From my heart. From my head to my heart. 18 inches. That's all the further we got to move it. Lord, Lord, we did all these things. But he said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who do what? Practice lawlessness. Judge yourself. Don't look for somebody else to do it. Do you practice lawlessness? What does that mean? That means is my life habitually following sin that I will not repent of or change from. I'm habitually following sin that I am practicing lawlessness. And the Lord says, for that one, I, I don't know you. Now, I don't mean I fall, I stumble. I love Celebrate Recovery, and this is why I love Celebrate Recovery, because they define themselves not by their sin or by their failure or by their struggle. They define themselves by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hi, my name is Jackie Rivers. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who gives me victory over hate and anger, who gives me victory over alcohol, and I daily struggle with the things that God calls me to do every day. I'm not defined or saying that the things I do are right. I'm defined by my relationship with Jesus Christ. So are you. So are you. If we're defined by that relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what we need to hold on to. That's what we need to grasp. That's what we need to realize. Because he gives us this illustration in closing. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Two houses. We got two paths, two trees, two houses. They're built on two different foundations. One foundation is on the rock. That means I am found, I'm founding my home, my family, my life. My foundation is Jesus Christ. I'm going to build my house. I'm going to build what I have. I'm going to do the things that I do. Built on Jesus Christ. I'm going to be built in Him. I'm going to be founded upon the rock. But then he says, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Sand's always moving around, right? Well, here's how it works. In Israel, remember all this stuff is written to a people who, who could understand exactly what was being said. In Israel, you've got to be willing to dig down through the dirt to find the bedrock. Once you find the bedrock, you're on solid rock. But sometimes you don't want to go through the work to dig down to the bedrock. And, and it looks hard and it feels hard, so you build your house on it. It should be okay. Well, how are you going to know? When the storm comes. When the storm comes and it begins to rain, if your foundation is sand, what happens to the sand? It gets washed away. And then the house comes tumbling down. It reminds me of a song. Wise man built his house. I don't remember exactly how it went. Sorry, Fritz. 
But the, the concept is the same. Which judge, which house are you built on a rock? Are you built on the sand? Here's what Jesus said. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And when he, and when, blah, 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 and so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not like the scribes. Greatest teaching anywhere. Lays out the righteous requirement of God, how we ought to live, and how we should judge whether or not we're living it. But all that calls for us to look introspectively into our lives. What path am I on? What tree am I? A fruitful tree or the poisonous tree? Where am I building my house? On the rock or on the sand? Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said to him, some say you're Elijah, others another prophet. And he said, well, who do you say I am? Well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God who has come into this world. And Jesus said, you remember, upon this rock, I will build my church. Are you building on that rock? That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the king who will return? Judge not, lest you be judged, but judge with a righteous judgment. Identify, restore, and continue the journey that Jesus challenges us to in the Sermon on the Mount. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. There's a poem that's inscribed in the walls of a church in Europe. It says, You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me way, but walk me not. You call me wise, but follow me not. You call me fair, but love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal, but seek me not. You call me gracious, trust me not. You call me noble, but serve me not. You call me mighty and serve me not. You call me just, fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Heavenly Father, Lord God, in chapter 7, you are calling us to not judge others, but to look within ourselves. That before we try to fix someone else's problems, before we try to solve someone else's issue, we would recognize that there's work yet to be done in our lives. Father, it's our prayer this morning, God, that we would just seek you ask you knock that we would come before you desiring your kingdom first and your righteousness which we can't produce but can be found in a relationship with you 
A relationship whereby I reject my life and I say, I will now be defined by Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's where I will be identified. That's the colors I will wear. That's the leader that I will follow. And I pray as we just come in this time and as we have an opportunity in closing in worship that we would recognize, Lord, you love us so much. You love us so much that you would pay the price for us. All we have to do is receive that gift. How do we receive that gift? The scripture says that we repent of our sins and we call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you died for my sin and rose again. And I take up my cross and I follow you. For all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. But not words. Real. Lord, we pray that you would, as we just have this time, a little bit of an opportunity just to, to seek you. That we would be honest with ourselves. And if we find ourselves on the wrong road, all we have to do is repent. Lord, I'm sorry I made a wrong choice. I'm on the wrong road. Forgive me. I want to do this your way. I want to follow you. That's all we have to do. That's it. Turn our back on the old and become new. We find ourselves with poison fruit or no fruit at all. We recognize that that's where we're at. We repent. And he'll make us fruitful. Or if I discover that my house is built on the sand. I repent. And build my house on a rock. So when the wind comes. Not if. When the wind comes. It won't fall down. Lord I pray that your spirit would move through this through these people, your temple, God, that it would blow out the dust and the garbage within. That it would bring to the surface those areas within our life that we need to repent from, to turn our back from, to move forward. And Father, then we would follow you from now till kingdom come, till we see you face to face. And we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, move in this place. As we lift this time to you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.